Hi. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, welcome hi, to the Pablo. Welcome Sorry. to the Global Map <laughs> Department. My name is Rana Arshid Hafiz, and I'll be your host tonight. Tonight, we are going to hear from Kat Handry on data rich with diagnostics. Would everyone please introduce themselves in the chat window, telling us what you teach, where, and what your Twitter handle is, if you have one. We'll just wait for a minute before we introduce the speaker. 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you can use the same link as you used to get here tonight. The Global Math Department prides itself in being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for typical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll be sure to catch your questions for the presenter to be addressed at the end of the pre uh, presentation. Our speaker tonight is Kat Henry, and I'm gonna ask Kat to introduce herself. Um. Hi, everybody. Uh, again, Kat Hendry. Uh, I'm from Kingston, Ontario, and on Twitter, I'm at goslink123. Um, I, so I, uh, I'm actually going to roll one uh, slide forward just to introduce myself as well. So uh, I've been teaching for about 17 years. I grew up in Kingston and went to school, University at Queen's. Uh, for a math degree, loved math in high school, was not a big fan in elementary school, but something clicked and I fell in love with math uh, a little bit later on and um, taught internationally for a few years. And when I came back to Canada, I taught in three different boards. So I got a really good mix and dynamic of like what was happening in Southern Ontario uh, or Southeastern Ontario. And uh, taught a lot of math. I've taught uh, mostly like 15 years worth of math and taught a little bit of art and photography when I first came back to Canada and uh, also taught lots of physics at various points in foods and ESL and special education. I think a lot of people have a bit of a mix when they first start um, and have experience as an instructional coach, as a district facilitator and taught statistics at the college level and uh, pre-service education at the university level as well for teacher training. Uh, so that's a little bit about me. Um, and part of the reason that I'm here tonight is because I am very, very passionate about diagnostics. Um, I told my husband I was a little bit nervous about this evening and he kind of laughed and he said, you can talk for hours about diagnostics. I think you're set. <laughs> so, um, I do encourage everybody to uh, comment and ask questions in the chat and uh, Rena and I will kind of keep a check on here uh, just to make sure that we answer anything as it comes up. Uh, but what I'm gonna do is uh, talk about a journey I took with a primary diagnostic project when I was a K-12 district facilitator because that experience really opened my eyes up to diagnostics at looking at them in a different way about how to plan a program. So I'm gonna share, share the journey with you and talk about uh, what the students and the teachers and I did uh, using a prime diagnostic system, which is a system uh, sold by Nelson 
And in Ontario, it, many of the schools actually purchased the system and it was already in most of our schools, which is why we chose that system. But you can do the same uh, approach with any system as long as you get to know the system well. And we're gonna, I say play a couple of the games, uh, but we're gonna like quote unquote play the games and then uh, understand how the, the games help to develop the skills and the numeracy and talk a little bit about reflection on that and how it supported my understanding for how I should be using diagnostics for high school students. So uh, the first thing we're gonna look at is the primary diagnostic project, which was at a small rural school in uh, about an hour and a half north of the city that I live in. And there's about 200 students there, K to 12. So it's a pretty small school. Um, and we have a standardized test in Ontario called the EQAO. And the, uh, the school um, had a, a low uh, success rate. And so they were given resources to help promote more success with uh, math uh, to support the students. And so I was one of those resources that they were, they were handed over. So uh, we came up with kind of a plan to use prime number and uh, it is number sense and operations. And so we looked at prime number and here's an example of a diagnostic question. And so uh, prime was built by Marion Small and who is very well known in North America and uh, it's an excellent resource. And things like uh, her resources are well, they're well designed and they've been very thoughtfully designed. So that's why we chose this. Uh, so we, uh, looked at this diagnostic question just as an example. Um, and it says, so you show a number line and then you cover up the numbers and you reveal one by one. And so there's uh, uh, several numbers that would have been on, like we would have had separately as well. Uh, and so you can see, I've kind of blanked out the spot right under the question it says, what are these or where are these numbers on the number line? So uh, they were questions like are numbers 3, 9, 14, 17. And you'd say to the student, point to where the missing numbers should be on the line. So I would only reveal one number at a time and say three, and then ask the student to point where three was. And then I would mark down where they said three was. And then nine, and then you'd, they'd point to where the nine was or not. Um, and the idea was that they were, um, in the diagnostic and how you mark it, it explains explicitly as students that get two of the, or three of the four correct, get one point, and if they don't, they get no point, okay? So that's kind of how that sort of system works. And then uh, what I did after that, uh, after we learned about the diagnostic. We did some diagnostics together with the students and as a staff. And then what I did is I collected all these diagnostics for um, an entire primary division. So it was like kindergarten, or not kindergarten, we did grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four. And we collated all, of, all the data. So this is a grade one class uh, at the beginning of September, and this is their number diagnostic. And so what you'll see is like, here's all the students and they're listed 
on the uh, left hand, sorry, on the right hand side, you'll see like A, B, C, all the way down to U. And so that's the students as they were in order. And what I did is I'd coded a Google Sheet so that we could share it. And I have the question written up at the top. So I knew what the question was and they'd get zero if they didn't understand the question or get the question or couldn't answer it. A one if they got it to some degree and then a two if they got it completely. And so this is not my own coding for it, but this is actually from the diagnostic. It's just that the diagnostic was all paper and pencil. And so um, as a team, we decided we wanted to be able to share the results and talk about it and analyze it and look at it later on. And so the best way to do that was on a Google Sheet. So we did that. And one of the things uh, that we also did is we rearranged it so that we would put the low score high and, and like sort it according to score. And it was really interesting because what we ended up noticing is we had like very stark gaps on certain things, but not big gaps on other things. And so we kind of looked at like, what were some of the gaps, were they gaps because of instructional gaps? Were they gaps because they were like, like students had a hard time picking up the concept uh, or were they curriculum gaps? Like the students actually shouldn't know them yet. And so that's kind of the cool thing that happened with this diagnostic um, is what we found is, so these grade one students, so this data is for grade one class, uh, as I mentioned before, and we had grade one on the, on the diagnostic is around the phase one, but it's not quite the phase one. So it wouldn't be shocking to have a few students at the start of grade one still in kind of pre-phase one or uh, just starting phase one. And so what was kind of interesting is we noticed that like you can see how I've got that line all the way, the kind of purple, like pinky purple line or box around the second question. And the second question is about number lines. So it was, can a student place those numbers on that number line, like I showed before? And all of those red, that was actually more a concern because that was showing more of a whole class gap. Whereas other things, um, like which shape is third order, the students had a much better understanding of, and most of that was green. So that actually told us this is a whole class gap or more of a class gap. And I think question number three, it was a question about show me what half a pizza looks like. So we would cut out a circle and we would show like, this is the circle, show me this. Uh, and then like, here's a pair of scissors and cut it. And when the kids are older, we just ask them to draw it. But for the younger kids, it actually, I wanna see if they can, they can cut it, draw it, et cetera, and they'll tell you what they're most comfortable with. And I do all of these diagnostics when, they're, when they were younger. I did them all by uh, an interview. And when you're first doing diagnostics, I actually think interviews are the best way to learn your diagnostic system because you get a really good feel for um, who the students are, how they answer. And once you get a, like a feel for that, it actually just helps you really understand how kids think and how they how they um, make logical sense of the world based on their their logic. 
And so it actually gives you a really good grasp on what's going on in your classroom or and, and in a kid's head because not there's not just one student that does things a certain way usually. There's usually lots of them that are doing them kind of like just off the beat a little bit. And so it was really eye-opening to spend, like there's like 80 students that I did these diagnostics on over the course of the uh, year. And it was really um, beautiful to get to spend that much time just asking kids about math. So again, that pink um, section in the diagnostic you can see there, that became, that was more of a whole class concern. And then you'll notice some of the other ones like that purple section, there's just a few students that didn't get it and everyone else was green. So whenever we had a few sections like that, what we decided to do was we would have uh, guided groups. And the beautiful thing is that in an elementary classroom, student or teachers, teachers rather, are already often doing guided groups in their literacy walks. And so they have a sense of what guided, guided groups look like for literacy. And so we try and like mimic that a bit uh, through the math. And so uh, we would kind of set 10 or 15 minutes aside of uh, the end of a class and we would close some of the gaps through those small um, guided groups. And so we would target things like, what does half look like? And um, how are many different, how are like all the ways half can look? Because it, half could look like an area model or it could look like a set model or it could look, so we kind of, not that we're calling it that all the time in grade one, but we could really like kind of play out what that that would look like in many different ways so that the students could be more flexible in the representation of that. And then um, this blue box around here, uh, this is uh, counting by, oh, sorry. Yeah, counting by fives. So in the grade one curriculum in Ontario, when we did this diagnostic, counting by fives would have been something that probably would have accomplished midway through if not by the end of grade one. And so when we were looking at that, uh, this piece of counting by fives, that's actually something we wouldn't expected the students to have done better. Like it wouldn't have been something in September that the students would have um, absolutely right away. So, um, that was kind of where we said, okay, question seven is actually a marker for us. We know the students shouldn't be able to do this because that's actually a curriculum stop point. The kids don't know how to do that yet. So then we also looked at prime operation. And so an example of one of the questions for prime operation, uh, you show this figure. So it has four plus three and then seven plus five. And what you say to the student is, what is four plus three more? Try to do this problem thinking in your head or by making a picture in your head. You can of course do it any way you want. Then pause. And what is seven plus five more? 
And so with that question, we're kind of like building off um, their previous knowledge, like how did they get the first thing? And it's actually kind of like trying to get kids to even think about like, okay, I had four and I went four, five, six, seven, and trying to get them to build off, but doing that in their heads. And so once they have seven, they should be able to count on from there. So that's kind of where we're aiming, or that was what we we're hoping for. And so we actually um, had kind of an interesting result because uh, everything you think kids can build and do from kindergarten, uh, if you don't actually do the diagnostics, you may have uh, an assumption that they're a lot stronger than they are. And it's not that they can't pick it up really quick, but having, if, we, if you really do know where you start, it is so much easier to show kids how much they've progressed across a timeline. And so uh, the operation, there was a lot more students kind of sitting in that pre, uh, phase, pre-phase one. And so they were uh, kind of sitting in that, that early spot again. And it was, it was very helpful to do the operation because uh, number sense gives you this false sense of security. I think sometimes when you do the number sense diagnostics, when, when you do the operations, kids struggle with operations. Like it, it doesn't matter what grade level you're in. Operations is a lot harder than talking about numbers and understanding kind of how big or how small or what the magnitude is of a number. And so operations, when you, it's actually a calculation, a lot of kids really struggle with it. And so um, that first section, you can see it's only a few students. That was my, uh, I'm rounding that as like a guided group. And then that question was, uh, if I give you 10 counters, how many groups of two can you make? So they can double tap and pull. And what's kind of interesting about that is um, those five students that didn't double tap and pull or didn't find like how many groups of two were in there in any way and they can move the, the counters and manipulate it. That's telling us that like there's only five kids in that class that really, really need to target that, but the other kids have it. So that's a starting point that I can just touch on once in a while. I don't have to spend as much time on it. And sometimes we focus on or hyper-focus even on things that we think students won't know. And so that was, okay, so now they've got groups of two, I can maybe focus on groups of three or groups of five or groups of four and not focus so much on groups of two anymore because they've actually got that concept already. And I can just target, do a targeted intervention for the students that need it. So then the purple one is the whole class and we've kind of hit a bit of a wall there where you're noticing. Um, but that question is the question from the demo, uh, the four plus three and then seven plus five more. And so students at the beginning of grade one, that it's pretty clear, like they wouldn't know how to do that. Whether you say plus or uh, you show them the addition sentence, they, they don't know how to do it. And that's pretty reasonable at the very beginning of grade, grade one. So having the data collated like that allowed us to organize our thinking, kind of figure it out that we wanted to do guided groups, figured out uh, that we had had like some pretty clear stop points and that there's some things we should clear up before we really roll hard into the curriculum. 
And so it's a lot easier when the kids are younger to fill the gaps and uh, gaps are definitely easier to close when they are small. And so if we could close some of the gaps before moving on, that was one methodology and another methodology that we employed was to like swing back to the gaps every few weeks once we had closed them initially and then keep coming back to them so that it was never out of, um, it was never out of our thought process and out of our minds. So we ended up pretty data rich and a bit overwhelmed because keep in mind that that was one class data set and I was working with the whole division. And so we ended up having four classes data set that looked like that. And so now we've got everybody's data and we're trying to look at our whole program because we're also looking for what are our gaps in our program at the same time. And one of the grade two teachers said, I feel really overwhelmed and behind. And it's difficult because everything we've done has been a huge mindset change and challenge for me. And so this just speaks to when you're trying new things and you're taking a lot of risks, it's really important to pause and, and just appreciate the fact you're doing new things and doing a diagnostic might not feel like a new thing, but when you're cataloging the diagnostic and you're recording it and you're reflecting on it and you're reviewing it and you're doing that with other people and talking about your results, that is exhausting and overwhelming and you need a team and you really need to be there for each other. And that's one thing like for somebody to feel connected enough to say I'm overwhelmed and and we're doing a lot of big new things for me, uh, just shows the vulnerability, which I really honestly appreciate um, working with people who are willing to be that vulnerable. And I think that that's something that in a lot of the teams that I've worked with and done our research with, we have, we've been really fortunate to have people just be vulnerable and willing to ask questions and, and say like, I'm, this is overwhelming. And so we actually all kind of felt like it was overwhelming at different points. Um, and so what we did is we said, okay, well, let's go back and let's just focus on a couple of things. And so um, so we did that and we went back and we just focused on a few things. Uh, I am actually going to, yeah. And so the blue lines are looking at, so this was our uh, number sense again. And the blue lines were kind of like, there's our cutoff, like this this uh, blue line is kind of that start of that curriculum, uh, grade, the grade one curriculum. So we just want to make sure we're not going to like over, we're overshooting. And so we're just like, okay, let's first clean these things up here and then we'll come back and do that later. And so it kind of helped us to kind of like chunk what we were going to focus on. And the same thing we did same thing for um, operations. So a few things just about like key program elements. Uh, we decided to use daily number talks. And this is actually something that because of these programs, I used uh, daily number talks in my high school program as well now, because uh, I really think that the more kids discuss numbers or, or operations or computation, anything, uh, the more that you talk about uh, math and the more that you talk about computations and different ways of knowing things and different strategies for solving problems, the better students will get at it because they're they're exposed. But it's 
the number talk, I think the most powerful thing that comes out of doing number talks every day, especially uh, at, at any age, honestly, is, is that you're respectfully listening to your peers while they are coming up with interesting strategies. And as the educator in the room, even in high school, like even when I'm doing, like I've done number talks, like up to grade 11 and 12, it's pausing and saying, that's a really creative strategy. And if someone had an incorrect answer in it, then can we come back to this in a second, go to another strategy, swing back to this one, and talk a little bit about what happened in the strategy because these two strategies ended up being really close. One's, one's correct and one isn't. And it was really nice to like be able to go back and like talk about and kind of pick your friend up or pick your peer up with you. And so uh, um, the daily number talks were a pretty vital uh, program element for us with this project. And uh, it was also one of the hardest things for the teachers uh, to do. Some teachers like jumped on board right away and others felt like it was, there was a lot of learning around it because um, you have to, you have to have a bit of a commitment for number talks to work. Like if you do number talks, uh, I, I usually say like, do number talks for three days, but do them like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And if you do them three days, on the same type of topic, the same type of genre, you're going to have the biggest impact. And so uh, teachers that I worked with would do them for the three days or and once they did three days, sometimes spending that 10 minutes, the next two days felt like a good idea and kind of made sense. And so uh, that was Yes. Uh, so at, in elementary, there are a number of authors. Sorry, somebody just asked me uh, if there's a specific program for number talks. So in elementary, um, there is the, like a book actually called Number Talks uh, by Sherry Parrish and highly recommend it. It has uh, DVDs or online um, online uh, clips so you can actually watch someone do them. You can actually find a lot of number talks online, like on YouTube now, which is kind of cool, but you, it is best to watch like somebody who's like Sherry Parrish because she's authored for it. Um, and then Kathy Humphreys is another person that is excellent. Uh, um, Making Number Talks Matter is a great book. So those two books in combination will take you from kindergarten right up to uh, grade 12, well, grade 10 through to 12, because it just gives you enough to kind of see where to go with it. And the first thing I would say for number talks, um, Melissa, is just to make sure that you uh, like be okay to make mistakes. Like if your number talk doesn't go well the first day, uh, think about like reflect on what went well from it and then kind of make the adjustments to carve out some of the other things. Uh, so some things about number talks that we kind of learned with Wrigley bodies is maybe start standing up and then uh, sit, like have them sit down when they had a strategy because the standing up helped there with blood flow and then they would sit down and they'd have their strategy. And then once everybody sat down, we, we felt like we had our strategies. Uh, some people um, kind of like hold the 
have the fist over their heart and just the thumbs up and the kids will all be seated when they start. So different classrooms did different things and it kind of depended on the age. And I highly recommend that you do start with dot talks before you start with um, writing like operations out. The dot talks are really key for the younger kids. And it's actually really a great way to open. I do doc talks in my first couple of grade nine classes, usually every year too. Uh, so, and I'll have pictures of those in just a second. So we also did a lot of numeracy games and I actually still use numeracy games in my uh, grade nine class. Um, and I play a couple of these games, which I'll tell you about in another minute. Uh, but uh, I, I've always loved numeracy games as a math teacher, um, but I always, like until about 10 years ago, I think I didn't, I didn't, I always felt like I was a high school teacher and like, I shouldn't be putting all these games into my class. And then somebody kind of noticed how much I did it or kind of noticed like, oh, you're actually like, you gamify a lot of things. And I was like, oh yeah, I do. And I felt kind of relieved that somebody thought it was neat and it wasn't gimmicky. And it was like very much focused on like, what math are they getting out of it? And so, um, going into a primary uh, class and we just talked about, we're just going to launch in numeracy games and we're not going to, we're not going to worry about the kids writing stuff down initially. Uh, we're not going to worry about them, especially the grade ones and twos. We're not going to worry about them like actually writing numbers. We're going to worry about them talking about the numbers and using correct language. And we're going to really correct them as much as we can because we want them to speak about the math well. And when kids speak things well, then they will write them well. It, it is to follow. And um, one of like one thing that I have a bit of a background in is English as a second language. And when you're learning English as a second language, like it is high concentration on your oral language skills because if you can speak and communicate to someone else, you can access help, you can access anything. But if you if you can't, then it actually causes a block to how you live your life and survive. And if you take that, that sort of lens to how you talk and learn about math, it actually helps quite a bit because if kids can speak math, then they can ask for help. And then they actually, they can advocate for themselves. So it kind of goes hand in hand is like, if a kid can speak math, they can ask questions. If they can ask questions, then they can reorganize what they're learning about and make it their own. And if they can make it their own, then they've got it. And then they can help others. And so it kind of builds that, um, that culture of, of math talk and language. Um, and then we took, this sounds like a weird element, but took students up on conversations that they were offering. So what I mean by that is if a kid asked about how big is a million, we laid into it. Like, yeah, it's not curriculum content, but a kid was interested in talking about how big is a million or how small is tiny. Like, what do these, what do these words mean? Or what is, what is infinite? then we would talk a little bit about it. And some of the kids had older siblings that were in the same school and who were asking actually the same questions. And so when we started talking about it and talking about it um, as a group of teachers and then going back to our classrooms, then we had kind of similar answers that would help kind of like create this 
collective um, and, and have like age appropriate answers for every class. So those were kind of the key elements. Um, and we're gonna look at some things that were really interesting that kind of came out of this. So um, here is the, I'm calling them growth pictures from the grade one class. So this is September. And you'll notice that I've got these like kind of dots written. So I, I can't remember what the original picture was, but I had, I had, oh, it was a wreck and rack. So I had a, a magnetized wreck and rack on the wall. And so uh, the students said how they saw them. And so like hunters got three and then four, but they didn't add them. But Landon did add them because Landon saw six and then one, so he saw seven. And so after they do the same types of things for a few days, then they'll switch the topic up and we'll cycle back. And you'll see like kind of late October, we're kind of moving, starting to move away and you're starting to see more numbers get written. And uh, one of the things I have uh, like just over on the right-hand side and the right bottom corner, um, you can see these like a 15 and it has a 10 and a five and then a, the 10 and five kind of overlapped. So I made um, place value cards and the kids would overlap them when we would talk about numbers. And we, we had introduced that as a manipulative pretty recently. And so it was starting to come up in the number talks more frequently. And then in January, you can see a lot of the kids have like moved into, it, it's like a wide variety of strategies in every one of the pictures. And so some kids are like kids who haven't talked as much are starting to talk. Uh, they're, we've told them like, if you want to use your fingers, use your fingers as much as you can. And some of the kids, like they weren't actually counting on their hands by January, but they were saying in my head, I see like my, my whole hand plus another hand plus another two. And that was really an interesting uh, thing to start to see is that they weren't actually counting on their fingers anymore. They were like mentioning that they could see these things. So, so all of these number talks were based on the gaps that we noticed in the diagnostic. Every one of the number talks, if there is an operations topic, it was based on the diagnostic. If there was something in number sense that had been weak, then it was based, like the number talk was based off of um, the diagnostic. And so the grade twos, uh, the grade twos had uh, some good summer slide. So we spent a little more time kind of in dot talks initially, and then um, we kind of grew out of it. And we talked a lot about um, 10 frames and we, we had used five frames and 10 frames just to make sure we were rebuilding and re-scaffolding some of the stuff from the summer. And so the grade twos, we did a lot with, uh, with really like friends of 10 and making sure they're really solid. And then how friends of 10 can create friendly numbers like 25. And we started building a lot of stuff like that. And you can see like it went from dot talks and frames. And then you can see these big jumps that now they're really working on their number lines because they've moved, we've moved from the 10 frames into number lines. And we're starting, you'll see like a lot more of this stack and subtraction sort of leak in here and there because that's something they were starting to do 
in and out of class. And then you can start to see like a lot more strategies and how they were doing things and decomposing. And uh, the kids are using uh, dot cards that have also dot and stick cards that the sticks represent 10 and the dots are the ones. And so you can see that they're, and, and the uh, base 10 blocks. So you can start to see them in the number talks as well. So that like, we really addressed whole gap, whole class gap closure from our data. Um, and we used those number talks, but we also used some games. And so one of the games that we did, so with the younger kids, we, we played a game called Go Fish Make Five. And uh, it is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, if, if I have um, five cards in my hand, instead of playing Go Fish and finding the pair, what I would do is if I had a two, I would ask for a three from my partner. And if they didn't have the three, they would say go fish. And if I didn't make, if I didn't get the three and make my five with two cards, then I would, I'd give up my turn, I guess, um, or I'd collect the extra card. And so we, we played a lot of that in the younger classes. And then we worked our way up to go fish, make 10. And uh, like grade threes, even like grade fours love it because it's just reinforcing and it would be a good, like, here's a, 10 minute activity that would help to reinforce. And so uh, when they got to go fish, make 10, uh, say I had those two cards left in my hand, I have a three and a six. So I might ask, do you have a seven? And the other player is gonna say, no, go fish. And then I'm gonna go into the pile and maybe I'm gonna pick up that seven and then I've made our 10. So then my three and my seven make the 10 and I've got my 10. Uh, if you are interested, there's like a link down at the bottom that says uh, it's a bit.ly uh, called meeting math needs. You are very welcome to use any of the resources in there. Uh, it's a collection of stuff either I've made or I've borrowed uh, and everybody, if it's been borrowed, their names are on the folder. And uh, I have like their links to their information inside the folders, but it's just a big giant Google Drive that has like uh, all kinds of games that I've used and games that I hang up on my uh, classroom walls and things like that. Um, another game that I play, and I play this game in my grade nine classes as well, uh, just to make sure that that students are working on multiplication all the time because it comes up in so many things. And if we don't have good proportional reasoning in grade nine, then uh, linear relations get really difficult. And then everything with functions get even more difficult as we head down the line of high school. Uh, so with salute, uh, you can play it with addition or multiplication. Uh, some people try it with di uh, differences. I find that one a little bit hard. Um, but if it's addition, player one has this card up on their forehead like that, and they can't see the card number, and they, the player two's got their card up on their forehead, and the third player says, you multiply, or sorry, I'm going to do a multiplication for this one, you multiply to 18. And so if I'm player one, and I see the other person is six, and I know we multiply it to 18, I'm gonna say, I'm three. And so then I can 
uh, figure out, I can practice my multiplication in another way. And if it's uh, addition or subtraction, I can practice my addition or subtraction using that as well. And so those games are, again, really, really powerful because they can be 10 minute games. And once your class has learned a couple of the games, uh, you can make them harder by adding larger numbers to them. Uh, you can um, make the challenge a little bit different. Like we put in zeros and up to 12 in grade nine. And I don't put the zeros in until the kids are ready for it because it's kind of, it feels unfair sometimes. <laughs> Um, but they're really helpful and they do close a lot of, a lot of gaps, um, that are based around their multiplication. Uh, and then here's a few other things. And these are some of the activities uh, and templates and things that you'll find in that drive that was put up with the meeting math needs. And so, uh, you can do shake and make 10. So you shake a cup of dice, pour the dice over and then try and sort it out. So you can make 10. So you try and make as many collective tens as you can. And it doesn't matter how many dice you use. Uh, and then you can see kids kind of playing war with um, dot cards from G. Fletchy. And there's concept circles from Kathy Marks Copan. And then I made, I don't know how many uh, number lines I made, but I, I made every single class probably 20 number lines and laminated them and had them ready for kids for all different uses. But one of the games that we would play in the younger grades was Race to the Top. And uh, this year uh, in my grade nine D-Stream class, one of the things that I had happened is I had students ask me, um, do you count the tick or the space when you're using a number line? And I haven't had that question for about five years. And it comes up every once in a while. Uh, but with the pandemic, there is definitely a few gaps uh, around the tick mark for like how 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 do you count a number line and that's really what it is like so graphing then becomes much more difficult if students don't know how to use their number lines and sometimes I think we forget how interconnected these things and we take for granted the fact that, that we have that skill to read and understand a number line but like kids uh playing race to the top kids like you're you're jumping to the next number and you count the jump and that was like a big piece in grade one is we were counting the jump. And so then those questions, uh, they get alleviated because that gap is closed in grade one. Uh, we had lots of different grouping activities and grouping games. And these are some, this is uh, those dot cards I was talking about with G. Fletchy. So those games were really helpful. And again, those uh, games are in those folders for meeting the math needs. Um, and we actually sent home at the end of the year, we sent home family packets for uh, all of these dot game, uh, dot card games from G. Fletchy. And they they helped so that there wouldn't be as much summer slide the next year. And so students, students wouldn't be starting back half, like half the growth that they had gained. Uh, so um, with the whole class versus guided groups, just a few things that we tried and or did. Uh, so we had questions that we had to ask ourselves. So for the instructors, it was how big are the gaps? So how far back do we actually have to start? And how many students do the gaps impact? So is this whole class or is this just a guided group? Like, is it gonna be uh, while the other kids are playing one game and having around the game that they can do independently after they've been taught how to play the game, then I can take these 
four or five kids and work on closing that gap, playing the game with them or uh, working with them on other instructional activities that'll help to close those gaps. Uh, some of the questions I asked myself as the facilitators, do educators already use guided groups and literacy? And we mentioned that at the start. And if they don't already use, like if an educator didn't already use uh, guided groups for literacy, guided groups in math um, might be harder or uh, it might take a little more training for the teacher because they are they have to train their students how guided groups work. And often if it's already existing in literacy, the kids already have a good idea for what it looks like. Uh, and do guided groups have to be scheduled? So one of the things that this was kind of a big, big idea for our crew was the guided groups we used. Uh, I, I feel like guided groups should be spontaneous. And so um, if there's 10 minutes where you can pull kids off to the side and sort of like uh, close a gap, but you're consistently working to close a gap, it to me doesn't matter where the 10 minutes is. So if the 10 minutes is at the start where uh, one, like there's students are doing a different activity, then you could have a small guided group. Because if you can make it a smaller group and do it 10 minutes when kids are doing some practice work, or you can pull kids aside when the other kids are all playing games, so then it just looks like you're playing a game. Uh, it also helps to kind of like remove some of the stigma around getting the guided groups. Uh, and as they get older, uh, students, there is a bit of a stigma depending on how the guide group, groups are used. And so then we also talked about like, should we make some like, do some guided groups so it's a little bit of enrichment for everybody. And so there was a little bit of discussion around that. And can guided groups uh, occur organically through gap closing games and activities? So are those guided groups how the the grouping has occurred. Like, do we group them into a guided group and then just play a game with the kids? So that's what we kind of meant by more organically, which we did and it was uh, pretty helpful. Okay, uh, yes, I will double check the link in just a, at, by the end. Um, so just a few things that we kind of noticed. So checkpoints and growth. So we noticed that students found new games and activities to be a challenge, but they got easier over time. Uh, the oral math communication improved a lot. Uh, they identified strategies, uh, sorry, the identification of strategies improved. So students were actually like naming what they were doing and their questions improved. So they got a lot more rigorous in their questions. And Uh, sorry, and we wondered uh, just about if students were memorizing things because you know when they first like, like you first learn to count, you'll like memorize the counting. Uh, and then uh, could they transfer the skills? So was it something that was oral communication or problem solving? Could they could they use that skill at any at, in any of their other problem solving? Uh, and would we be able to? Cover the curriculum. That was actually obviously the hugest of our questions. Um, and really interesting because once we got going, we were covering our curriculum a lot faster because the kids had a better understanding the whole way through. So April data collection came along. And this is our diagnostic A for this was our original one from September. 
And this is what A looked like in April. So this is early April. And we also had, we went straight into the next diagnostic and we're, we got into, the kids were just starting kind of like, um, they were into almost grade two level and they'd only been doing the program like until early April. So that was a really positive experience. And so what that all looked like together. So here's diagnostic A from September. So it's late September and then early August, uh, sorry, early April. So it's about six months, not quite. And the, the kids really showed a lot of growth and they have something similar. I'm just gonna like pop through on the operation data. So this is something similar. So the operation data looked very similar. So we're into diagnostic B as well. So you can see a lot of the growth. So we've gone from red and yellow to quite a bit of green. And this is in six months. And so uh, the grade one educator uh, commented and said, I feel like we focused on a lot less, but we did it thoroughly. And we kept coming back to these main ideas regularly. And they just seem to get it so much better. So the grade one educator uh, has been teaching that program for like 25 years, pretty close to retirement and had said like she felt like a lot more like um, renewed in her strategies and was really excited to keep to keep teaching and to, to kind of use those strategies more. Um, and another kind of comment was students are getting so much stronger after using transition activities. So one teacher called them games and another teacher referred to them as uh, transition activities because they'd use them anytime they had 10 minutes to transition. And that little bit of regular questioning, it's been so good and positive. They all want to tell me they got it. So this was actually a really big piece for uh, the primary teachers that the kids really, they were like at their feet and like pulling at the, you know how the uh, younger kids will like pull at your, your hip to tell you, I, I got it, I got it, I got to show you how much I did. Uh, so overall, this is what the student learning looked like. Uh, a full phase of growth in 16 of the 17 grade ones in six months, and a full phase of growth in 12 out of the 13 grade twos in six months, full phase of growth. This is like a year's worth of learning, basically, um, in 12 of the 16 grade threes in five months, and then a full phase of growth in 13 of the 21 uh, grade fours in five months. So just a disclaimer with the grade fours, they had three different teachers in one year. And so that some of that was like, they ended up doing the same uh, initial step a couple of times before they had the teacher was the same. So then for student voice, uh, the grade ones, uh, uh, they did like a survey with me at the start and at the end. And by the end, they were like, we love number talks, dot cards and salute and number line games. Like they loved them. Every time they'd see me in the hallway, they'd be like, like Miss Math Lady, come play this with us. And it was super fun. And then the grade twos, it said, uh, they loved the games and they loved all the physical games. So they liked doing the number talks, which they would talk about as a game, but then they, they loved any game where they got up and moved. And so we like some of the games we made the 
tiles became the number line. So they had, they had to do so many jumps or they had to skip jump sometimes. And so they loved those kind of games. And the grade threes loved all the card games. Salute was their favorite. Uh, they were working on multiplication. And so it was a little more like the one we were talking about. Um, so some of the things that the teachers said that they learned in the process, uh, main concepts that they spent time on were the number talks. That was a big learning and it was a huge learning curve. Um, and then planning number talks was a huge learning curve because once you get into it, you can follow the book for so long, uh, but then you, you, you do have to take that initial dive away from it and then you start really planning your own and sequencing them is a lot harder. Uh, Pam Harris, uh, Pam Harris has uh, number strings and uh, she talks about number strings as well. And uh, I think Sherry Parrish has some number strings in her book as well. Joe Bowler also talks about number strings and it's like planning that like string of, of number talks that you could do like one right after the other. But the first couple of times that you, the, the teachers did number talks on their own, they took like 20 minutes to do them because they weren't sure when to stop. And then we got to a point where it was like, okay, plan, plan to go for five and it'll go for 10 and that's an appropriate amount. Cut it off at 10 minutes because the whole idea is that they're short, but they keep coming back to the same idea. So you're going to have three to five of the same topic, but pulling out different strategies uh, all through the week. And then the numeracy games, it was just finding the games, making sure you had appropriate materials, building some of the materials that we didn't have, um, and then adjusting numeracy games so that there wouldn't be boredom and that's, that uh, students could always increase their level and get to the next stage. And then uh, so, uh, every one of the teachers were like, I did not realize how important number lines were. Because once kids had number lines in their hands and could physically like like actually move characters up and down the number lines, they were like, wow, like the, the, the kids talked about numbers differently. They, they visualized numbers moving up and down the number line, which when we get to high school and kids already have that idea of moving back and forth on a number line and like using that difference uh, concept when they're talking about subtraction, they've already got that visually and they're thinking about that in their head. That makes a huge difference when you're talking about integers when you get to grade seven and eight. Uh, some other things that we learned about was base tens and base 10 activities and how to skip count and talk about place value and uh, using base 10 materials for adding and subtraction. We talked about visual multiplication as they got into grade three and four. We talked about a big, obviously a big piece was about reading the data and then always going back to the data. And we used the prime continuum, which was in the prime diagnostic kit by Marion Small. And then we also used the Alex Lawson continuum. Um, and Alex Lawson's a really great uh, math ed researcher and uh, educator who has like a really great layout for kind of where kids are and how their learning is overlapping. Um, now, the big question at the end of this was, will you use diagnostics as part of your math program in the future? And so we asked all of the teachers that were engaged in this and they said, yes. Uh, one, big, uh, one big thing that kind of came out of this was a lot of the teachers kind of felt like it was really overwhelming to do all the diagnostics because they have literacy diagnostics and numeracy diagnostics to do. And 
they just felt like that was a big support piece and that part was difficult. And so um, in my in my recommendations for the school was to make sure that there was support so that maybe the admin team can come in and like support uh, by watching the kids so that they can do some of the diagnostics, uh, which was actually volunteered by the admin themselves. They thought that was a pretty good idea and a great way to get to know the kids every year. Uh, so my personal takeaways from the project was that we use diagnostics, uh, use them, use them all the time, collect them and code it and find what questions gave gaps and use the diagnostic manuals to understand the point of the question. So then you can understand what the actual gap means and why the gap exists. And then you can, if you can determine a question that the whole class has a gap, or if it's just something that needs to be addressed in a guided group. Um, and then uh, with my own experience as a grade nine D-stream math teacher, uh, I use prime number and operation every single term. I send out a, a letter to parents to let them know kind of what gaps we have. And in Ontario, we have a uh, support, uh, online support called EduGains, and it is all for gap closure. So if you go to edugains.ca, you'll actually see, like you can access it from, from uh, other countries as well. And Edugains has gap closures for grades six and nine, and they're all broken down by different strands and it's really helpful. And so I use that data then to plan all of my number talks and what I call thin slices to target gap closure and to continually repeat curriculum ideas and have them come up in class every day. So I truly believe diagnostics are for everyone in every course. And I hope that uh, after today, that might be something you would also see. So again, I'm Kat Hendry, and thanks for chatting. There's a few of the links that are up there. If you want to see the, the summer packets that I sent home, uh, that's in that family math packets. And it's also in the Meeting the Math Needs Drive. Does anybody have questions? Thank you very much, Kat, for sharing with us. I hope you'll be able to stick around for a few more minutes to answer questions. Everyone in attendance, thank you for joining us tonight. This will be our last webinar this school year. Our first session in August will be August 9th, Beyond Right Answer, Math Tasks that Foster Agency and Identity with Tuana Young. Did the links end up working? I can see that Dave put one out. I will, just one sec. Yeah, perfect, okay. Thank you very much, so Kat, for sharing with us. Everyone, oh, thank in you. Thank you for joining us tonight. This will be our last webinar this school year. Our first session in August will be August 9th. Beyond Right Answer, Math Tasks that Foster Agency and Identity with Tuana Young.
Good night, everyone. Thank you and good night.